Good morning, everyone. We are 34 seconds early, sorry, but we're going to start service anyway. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. I hope you guys are doing okay. I've got a few announcements. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I'm Brock. This is my second Sunday back since July. So, hello. It's good to see you all. I've been away at a ton of camps. It was a great time, and uh, lots, lots has happened that way. But in the back of your seat, if there's anything you want to tell us, there's a little blue card, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to know who you are if you're new, and uh, that's maybe a less intimidating way than coming up and telling us. Uh, but anyway, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you'd like to give to the church, there's a little offering box just on the right side out this main door, and you can put in cash or checks or envelopes there. There's a debit machine by the coffee, and you can e-transfer. Um, speaking of coffee, we have a, some coffee out there and tea and other drinks. There, there is water. So uh, whatever you'd like to drink there, please help yourself. If you want to give a donation, the money goes to missionaries. So we can drink coffee for a good cause. It's kind of my life dream. You know? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, there, there's kids programming in the gym. So if you want to take kids there, that's going to be a good time. And starting next Sunday, it will be for the whole morning. If you want to drop your kids off, at 9, you can pick them up at the end of second service. Ooh. It's going to be a, a good long time for them there. Um, so just a, a couple of dates and events. Monday, October 31st, it's Halloween, and we're going to love on our community by doing a trunk or treat. And a trunk or treat is when you dress up in a costume and you decorate your trunk or truck bed or hatchback. And we hand out candy from our trunks to all the kids in the neighborhood who come here. And if you know any little kids, tell them it's happening. They're going to be able to get so much more candy in our parking lot in a couple minutes than they can driving around to neighborhoods. Uh, so the goal is that it's a safe and fun place for the community and for our own kids here in our church. That we can have a good time together and uh, it, it's not weird. It's not dark out either because we have street lights. So it's going to be a good, safe, fun time. Um, I still haven't decided what I'm going to do, but you can sign up in the lobby and I might steal... Sorry? I don't know. I might, I might be a pastor for Halloween. Um, but maybe I'll steal one of your ideas when you, when you sign up. We're going to try and organize the cars a little bit, so if there's a theme that you can be together, or if you're both doing the same thing, maybe you're not immediately beside each other, unless you want to compete with the kids. Um, anyway, that's... October 31st. So you can sign up in the lobby. That'll be a good time. Tell all the kids you know to come because it's free candy. And that'll be great. Uh, I don't know if you've seen in the lobby, the Christmas shoe boxes are back. They are due back November 13th. It's always the second Sunday in November. So that's when they're due back here. You can take one. There's more information to come, but that's all Brock knows right now. Uh, last announcement. Our roof. It's looking potentially damp out today. And I hope it doesn't rain because the roof leaks. But we're getting a new roof, and it's very exciting, and it's going to be really good. Uh, we're raising money, and I don't know if you saw, if you go that way into the lobby, there's a display with a bunch of different values. And if you wanted to give to the roof, you can strike off the amount you want to give with the highlighter so we can kind of have this sense of how much we've raised all together without always pestering our bookkeeper of how much is in now. And we can just see it all together in real time. So that's pretty fun. Uh, but those are all the announcements for us today, and we, yes, oh, the camp cleanup. Yes, this Saturday from 9 to noon, there's a, a camp cleanup. We have a camp just 1.6 kilometers up the road. I googled it this week. Um, 
We have a, a wonderful campground that has done a bunch of camps this summer, which means there is some love that needs to go into putting the camp to bed for the winter. So if you want to get outside one last Saturday this, this fall before it gets bitter cold, you could come up and help us close the camp. So that's at 9 o'clock, and uh, Brenda and Vic are over here, and they know everything about the camp that I don't. So we can talk to them. But we have a, a video now. One last thing I might give us, Brock, I was just thinking about it, is uh, this coming week, we are saddened, but we also celebrate with the Armstrong family at the uh, Veda's passing. She's with Jesus. She's been ready to be with Jesus for a long time, hasn't she? And so she passed, and we uh, feel her absence. I know that she hasn't been able to be with us on Sunday mornings for quite a while, but uh, we're praying for you guys. So 1 o'clock here at the church is the uh, funeral on Wednesday. And I understand as well, today, exactly today, is 40 years. Uh, what's the 40 years for again, Susan? <laughs> Time served. Time served. <laughs> is the anniversary for Susan <laughs> for Susan <laughs> and so congratulations you guys so a lot of things converging at the same time there but uh, bless bless you guys let's take this in Praise the name of the Lord. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it, that we, we implore, wish each other happiness? I like words. I like phrases and the oddities of language. Um, and I was thinking about some of them today. Uh, that We say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. What do, we, what do we mean by that? Are we commanding someone to be happy because it's a new year? It's a different day on the calendar, so I say you must be happy. Is that, is that what we mean? I don't think so. Um, Scotia has this little bunny that when you squeeze it, it says, Happy Easter, and she holds it when she gets changed. So uh, diaper time is Easter in her mind. But that's all it says over and over and over again. And this bunny is wishing her, me, a happy Easter because it's October the 10th and her diaper's dirty. I don't know. Um, Interesting that we say this. 
Is it a wish? Is it a command? Am I telling you how you should be? Um, is it a direction? And we, we say it more commonly. We say, well, have a good day. There's a, an old joke. Don't, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> or we, we tell people, get home safe. Well, that, that's an interesting direction, wish, command. Um, more, more interesting, less controllably maybe, uh, go to sleep. Uh, we, we lay Scotia down at night and we say, go to sleep. First of all, she doesn't understand what we're saying. And second of all, who can control when they go to sleep? Like, I, I know a few people in the room. I can see you. Um, but most of us, sleep is this elusive thing that we chase down passively every night. It's kind of fun. As I discuss sleep, people synchronizedly drank their coffees. Um, <laughs> just a little irony, sorry. Um, and there's a, there's a song and the phrase of, don't worry. Oh, okay, I didn't know, I wasn't supposed to worry. And uh, the rest of the song is, don't worry, be happy. Interesting that all of these things assume we have a lot of control over our life. Um, the one that gets me the most, though, is when uh, like you're, you're sick. And what do people say? What's their well wish? Get well, feel better. Oh, I didn't know. Thank you. I'd forgotten. I didn't know I was supposed to, and I say it. I, I'm not, I'm kind of indicting myself here that, oh, you're sick. Oh, feel better. Oh, thank you. Now I can. I was waiting for someone to tell me what I could do. Now I can feel better. Oh, that was, that was close. So what is really in our control here in life? Could we just choose to feel better? Um, I don't think that's the case. Because uh, Job was this really good, really wise guy, and he was really sick for a while. And he didn't just, his friends didn't come and say, feel better. And he said, yep, I do feel better, and it's all good now. That'd be a pretty short story, wouldn't it? Um, so what's in our control? What's in our influence? Maybe you can't control it, but you can influence. Um, like when you're driving, you can more or less control your vehicle, which will influence your safety. But I might be driving, so who knows? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Serenity Prayer. It's uh, it's been kind of my mantra this spring and fall. Um, one of the things it says is that God help me accept the things I can't change things that are out of my control. Help me to just accept that so I don't wear myself out trying to change things that are beyond me. And courage to change the things I can. I, I seem to have more courage to change things that can't be changed. And suddenly I'm very sheepish about things that are actually under my control. And the, the rest of the, this phrase in the prayer is the wisdom to know the difference. Wisdom, it's a, it's a section of scripture, it's, a, it's needed. And there's a, a chunk of scripture called the wisdom literature. Um, and Proverbs is kind of the, the start of this section of scripture. Um, it's, it has a very simple outlook on the world. And it's, it was described to me as this young and spry teacher who just understands how everything works. And you can just go to them and they will explain anything and everything. And if you do what they say, your life's good. It's the ultimate self-help. And Ecclesiastes is written by the same author uh, as an older person, and they've realized all of their self-help principles don't always work. 
doesn't matter how wise you are, life, it says time and chance still happen to everyone. So what do we do? Ecclesiastes is trying to be uh, Occam's razor. I don't know if you're familiar with this philosophical thing. It's the simplest answer is true. Uh, And he's trying to simplify life, cut away everything that complicates to get to the truth. And he often repeats that life is beyond understanding. Um, And I I dislike the translation, and I'm going to be that snobby person who picks on people way smarter than me who translated our Bibles. But it often says meaningless or vanity, and the word isn't that. In Hebrew, it's hivel, and it means fog. It means smoke. Very literal, um, tactile. It's not abstract. It's, It's a very normal thing that we all see and understand. And the point is, is that the world is in a fog, and we we can't really understand it. It doesn't matter how good your vision is, you can't see through fog, right? It doesn't matter how keenly you're aware of life. It's beyond our grasp, that there's some meaning, some hidden things that we just can't figure out. And Ecclesiastes is pretty depressing to read. We were talking about it at small group, that it's quite the downer. and someone was a little bit behind, so they tried to catch up on all the reading in one day, and they were very sad. Um, it's, but they're, they're getting at that it's beyond our seeing, it's beyond our understanding. It's not without meaning, it's that we don't understand it. So the life, or the author often repeats that life is hivel, it's foggy. It, it's hard to understand, and what's their takeaway? They often say over and over, I counted six times in my reading through, maybe more, uh, depending on how closely he follows it, but he says, enjoy your food and drink and enjoy your work. And that's it's about all we can get from life. Enjoy the little things. That's an interesting takeaway. Um, the writer of this is mostly Solomon. Um, it seems like he had a scribe copy this down for him, and at the end, Uh, This scribe who seemed to love Solomon was a little bit more optimistic, and that's the end of the book. Um, But Solomon, in his teaching, it comes to the end, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, if you want to turn there. Uh, The end of all matter, all has been heard. This is the summary. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. Interesting. Uh, that our whole duty as people, the purpose of our lives, our existence, our destiny, is to fear God and keep his commandments. It's interesting that the heart is first and actions are second. And that's where we're headed today, heart first. Um, And I, I don't think it's one or the other, that you could fear God or you could keep his commandments. I think it's a both. Um... And it struck me that this might be an order of operations thing. Do you guys remember bed mass? The way you solve a math problem. The order matters. And I think that's how it struck me at first. That we feel first and act second. Uh, Now, we are hesitant to feel in our culture. We are bad at expressing our feelings. And we're not really taught how to mourn or how to be sad. We're not really taught how to celebrate well. We don't really know what to do with anger. We're told to be nice, and we often reply that we're doing good. 
and we just have these middling emotions because we don't really know what to do with anything more complicated than that. But Ecclesiastes says the summary of all of life, the, the first thing we're supposed to do is to feel. And that's, that's a little troubling. Um, I don't know about you, but if, have you ever been stuck somewhere without your phone and there's nothing to distract you and there was no work at hand to do and no one to talk to and you're just stuck alone with yourself? I usually feel poorly at first uh, when kind of all the dust settles and I'm just stuck with Brock and I remember all the things I've done wrong since I was here last. And I dislike that initial space and it usually makes me want to avoid the solitude that helps me come to terms with my feelings. And I think that's part of the reason our culture avoids this is because we'd rather just be busy and be productive and then you don't have to feel. We can just do good things and say that we're doing good and ignore everything else. So we are hesitant to feel, but this is not saying follow your heart, which is kind of the other ditch in the road. There's somehow a middle ground between not feeling anything or only feeling a few happy, shallow feelings or following our hearts blindly. It doesn't say feel what you'd like about God. Step one is feeling, it's not doing, but it directs what feelings we should have. Um, Solomon said you should fear God. So this is, uh, that's, that's what scripture says, and now we're gonna think about scripture. Uh, it's, the Bible is this wonderfully complex book, and it says of itself that it's alive and active. And it's also very vague in what it's trying to teach at times. Uh, that there are parts that, is this an example to follow or to avoid? It often doesn't say. So here, let's just consider who is Solomon uh, a while, while we think about his words to us. Because uh, scripture is true, but it's not explicit always in what it's teaching us. And Solomon, he was the son of the king, so grew up in the lap of luxury, presumably. Uh, and he ascended into power, and he had everything anyone could want. He had it all. Um, but I was wondering, what would his relationship with King David be like? Uh, you remember Solomon's elder sibling was stillborn. Um, and that's, that's kind of a, a somber place to be born into. Um, and David had many children. Some of them actively tried to kill him. Uh, that's, that's another really hard place to be in. So how guarded was David with his relationship with his children? Um, how much did David, David operate as dad, and how much was it king? Did Solomon play with David on the throne? I don't, I don't know. Um, but God is father and king. And Solomon, in all of his writing, never speaks of God affectionately. He says we should fear him, and I wonder if that's colored by his view of his dad, that dad is king, and he doesn't really understand what it means to have a father, um, aside from that. Or he doesn't associate that with God, perhaps. So Solomon, he, he fears God, um, but he doesn't seem to have much hope or kindness or warmth in that relationship. And it's a lot, of, a lot of duty and respect 
which is fine. Um, but I don't think that's the end goal of our relationship with God. It was curious, on Friday I had the, the pleasure of going to the zoo with my niece and nephew here, and it was super fun. And the, the animals we loved most to go see in the zoo were the ones that would love to eat me. And it was fascinating. I love tigers. And there were these tigers, and they were in their little container there. And there was a lot of stuff between me and them. Uh, there wasn't nearly enough stuff for my comfort level for the cheetahs. It was only like a 10-foot gap. I'm like, I can, I can jump that with a run. And that's a, it's a cheetah. They can go 114 kilometers an hour. I'm pretty sure they could jump this 10-foot gap that's level if they wanted to. But, ha. Huh. But we were most interested in the things that were ginormous and potentially lethal. And we loved it. Uh, I, I loved hearing the, the tigers roar. And it was very impressive. And seeing the wolves, and there was a dozen wolves on this hillside, higher than us. And there was a small fence between us, and that was a small comfort. Uh, as Scotia's sitting on my shoulders, and we're looking at these things that keep licking their lips at us. And, it, it was awe-inspiring, and I had a certain respect for them then. I would have a very different respect for them. They showed a picture of a Russian tiger in the woods, and, you know, it's a, a black and orange cat that's huge. How could you miss it in a white field? And they show a picture of one in a field, and then it shows one in the forest, and it's just brown tree trunks, and orange leaves on the ground in the snow, and I couldn't see the tiger. I'm like, oh, goodness. And I eventually found it, because I knew there was one there, and I knew it wasn't moving, and I knew that one wasn't going to try and eat me. And I just couldn't imagine how humbling, how horrifying it would be to be in that presence outside of the bounds of safety. And it, it spoke to the awe, to the, the fear of God. Uh, but God isn't in a cage, and he's not someone we've tamed. It's just that we can decide to be on his good side, which is maybe a little scarier, that it depends on me, and it's not in my, my ability to control him. It's my ability to control me, which the track record says isn't, it's not great. I don't know about you, uh, but if your survival depended on your self-control over the long term, we snackers would be few. Uh, Solomon, he said that we should start with a feeling. He said we should start with fear of God. And I, I'm not sure it's the best way. It's, it's a good way. It's fine. Uh, but Jesus came not as a warrior king, not as a terrible monster. He came as a guy who was apparently physically unimpressive. Uh, and as a teacher. Solomon, he didn't see much hope in life. In uh, chapter 2, verse 14 of Ecclesiastes, he said, The wise and foolish share the same fate. Both will die. He seems to have no view of progress in the world. That all we can do is enjoy our time here, and that there's no impact the good we do doesn't last, and he thought that no one will be remembered. Uh, 
in chapter 6, verse 12. He said, who can tell what will happen on this earth after we're gone? That he had no hope of resurrection. I know what's going to happen after I'm gone. The world will carry on a little bit, and hopefully people will miss me, but I'm going to see all the Christians again in heaven. And it's going to be great. And that's, that's what's coming. And Solomon never has this hope. He misses this point. I, I really look forward to seeing Veda again in a refreshed body and a keen mind that's unclouded and we're unhampered by time. And I will miss her now. But our relationship will continue. And Solomon misses this point. He was very concerned with crossing God, but he didn't seem to love him or have any desire to be near him. Uh, at one point, he says, don't be too good or too bad. Just be in the middle. That way you don't stand out and get squished, um, which I never heard Jesus say, you know, don't, don't be too nice. Don't be too loving. So step one, fear God. But step one is to feel So, we have to listen a little carefully because if you mishear me, it's very wrong. But I think the way I'm going to say it is right. Uh, there's only one way to God. We know this. Jesus is the single path uh, through his life and death. But I think there are many ways to meet Jesus. Does that make sense? I had a professor who uh, God spoke to him most profoundly through theology. Of, of all the ways you could encounter God, his favorite way was to sit down with a theology textbook. And he would just be so stirred and moved in his heart to know a new truth about God. Uh, when he was in school, he was very depressed. And he found the steady, unshaking truth of theology to be this wonderful emotional anchor that regardless of how he felt today, God hasn't changed and he's still good and true and there's still more I can learn from him. And that, that's beautiful. That doesn't mean we should all order a new theology textbook today. There are, there are many ways to experience God. Uh, another friend I have finds him most powerfully singing several anthems here in service. And this is their high point of their week, is in the singing. Uh, but I have other friends who can't sing, even though they try. And that's not a, a place they meaningfully encounter God. Although, I have another friend that comes to mind who can't sing and loves to worship. And that's... A wonderful experience if the speakers are loud. Um, Wesley said that we should sing lustily unto the Lord. So regardless of your ability, get, give it what you got, because Jesus likes it. Um, I had another friend who, he talks to me almost weekly, how he's blown away how masterful God's creation is. And they, they just can't see how everybody else is blind to this majestic fact that Everything is beautiful and intricate and masterful, and God's creation is wonderful. And they see this in their yard every morning, not in this sanctuary on Sunday. Uh, personally, I find God clearest when I'm out for a stroll or out for a drive. Uh, usually not trying to get anywhere, uh, but if I just walk somewhere very, very slow, uh, I find God speaks to me. So how do you hear from God? How do you experience him fresh? Because Mark 12, uh, 28, there was this guy who said uh, to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. That the first thing we are to do is to love God. Solomon said step one is to feel, to feel towards God and then to keep his commandments. And what's the first commandment? We're also to love God. And I think maybe we have overemphasized in many sermons that love isn't just a feeling, it's also action. But I think action without feeling isn't really love. So, we're to feel and to keep. Keeping. Uh, we say things like, keep up, which is interesting, right? Have you ever walked with someone and they couldn't just quite match your pace? And they, they couldn't keep up? Or maybe you were the one lagging behind. Uh, you don't just catch up once and say, I kept up that one step. Keeping up, you, you have to stay together. Um, the less often you keep up, the more adjustment it takes. There was this guy I used to bike with in Korea. He was a very short, very, very strong Korean pastor. Um, and his arms stretched every sleeve he ever wore. He was really, really fast. He once crashed his bike, cracked the frame, and duct taped it. And that was his fix. And his wife was very nervous that his bike would just explode, as is probable. So he said, don't worry, I won't go faster than 50 kilometers an hour on flat ground. Because that was slow for him. Um, and I, I could struggle to do 27, but he was training our group, we were doing this charity ride, so he would hang at the back, and after an hour of riding, he would take his turn in the lead. And I would look down at my speedometer and 27, okay, Leo's not going crazy. And I'd look back down, and 28, and he's still pulling away, and I'm going faster. And I look down again, and I'm doing 29 now, and he's still getting farther away. And I would work my butt off and catch up to him, and I'd be exhausted. And I finally caught him. And then he's pulling away again, and again, and again. And I spent most of my time training with him well behind him. And I, I couldn't keep up, because I was trying to keep up once, and then it was such a big adjustment for me to keep up with him that I needed a break after I caught him. And invariably, I fell behind again. Keeping up. Maybe cycling isn't your thing, but uh, have you ever tried to keep up weeding a garden? You don't do it once. Uh, it's something you keep at. And maybe you've done enough for now that you can leave it alone for 30 seconds while the, re the weeds recover. Um, maybe you're keeping up with the reading plan. It's often used uh, to describe shepherds that they keep their sheep. It, can you imagine if you were the shepherd and uh, the owner comes out and says, where are all the sheep? And Well, they were all here yesterday. I don't, I don't know where they are now, but I kept them yesterday. So keeping, it's not a to-do list, it's not a one and done, it's a fairly continuous or at least often intermittent thing. You tend it. Uh, we can keep up a relationship. We are to keep God's commandments. But we're supposed to feel something first. I heard this awesome quote this week. It's a little lengthy, um, 
but try to take it in. It's by a pastor named Maurice Roberts. Ecstasy and delight are essential to a believer's soul, and they promote sanctification. We're not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration, and the Christian who goes a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not as a yacht from the Spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in danger when he allows himself to go any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of a Savior's presence. And I, I found that resonated so clearly with Ecclesiastes 12, that we must feel first, or we must feel. Otherwise, without the feeling, uh, it's just empty service. So how, how do we feel? How do we not follow our heart but still feel something? Um, this is a moderately embarrassing story. Uh, but when I was at Kingswood, Dusty's advice to me was, uh, when I got there, don't date for a year. And I thought, great, I, I've never dated before, how hard could it be? Um, apparently though, uh, from people who aren't from Roblin, if you held the door for some people there, they thought that was pretty much a date proposition. Um, and there were many ladies that I accidentally misled fairly strongly. There's a bit of a ring, is that me? Um, so there was several girls who thought that I was acting interested to them, and they corresponded in kind. And I didn't really know, I'm bad at reading social settings, so I didn't want to say like, hey, I'm not interested in you, if they were just trying to be friendly, because then that's, that's very awkward. Um, so my method was to just be friendly, but not interested. And the way I maintained my intentional uninterest was I would pick something about them, the way they talked, the way their left eyebrow looked, anything that I didn't particularly enjoy. And that was what I remembered of that person. And I, I chose to not remember anything else, not think about anything else. And I would just think about that left eyebrow or whatever it was. How they only had one dimple, I don't know. I just made something up and that's, that's what I considered while we were talking and while I remembered our conversation that it wasn't unpleasant, but not attractive. And it was very effective. Uh, the thing that I continually put in front of my face determined how I felt. And I, I didn't realize, but I kind of stumbled on something very powerful. What we continually pr put in front of our eyes, what we talk about, what we think about, becomes what we want. I don't know if this works in your life, but um, ads. They, they have a way of making us want things that we didn't know we needed yesterday. But I saw the ad now, and suddenly I need that new thing. And uh, I, I personally like the targeted mar marketing of uh, social media and all of its smartness because I just have to search for a new pair of hiking boots, and I don't see any smutty ads. All I see are those hiking boots I want. And it's fine. Maybe I'd save more money if I found ads for things I didn't like, like a new mixer or I don't know curling irons. But what do, we, what do we focus on? It will become your desire. It will become what you long for. 
and get excited about, the thing you think about, the thing you talk to your friends about and your family. And that is entirely within our control. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I think it works both ways. That what we continually talk about will foster affection. Consider that with our relationships, too. This is a bit of a side note. But if we're continually rebuking or correcting or belittling someone, that will be our remembrance of that person, and it will shape our affections towards them. And the ones we praise and love, we will love and honor more. It's interesting, the, uh, the verse of the day today in the Bible app came up uh, this morning. Uh, Paul said, I thank God every time I remember you. And I think that would make him very affectionate towards the Philippians. That Every time he sees them, he says, oh, thank you, God. It's that person. Can you imagine if that was your response to your family? Every, every time you saw them? I think we would be less frustrated with each other, maybe more tolerant and accepting that they don't do things my way, that we still have mayonnaise and not Miracle Whip. That came from a real place. Um, so the way we feel, how we lead our feelings into fullness is by what we focus on, by what we put continually before us, by what we talk about. And how do we keep this regular or constant activity? Uh, this is the important stuff uh, in life, that we're to keep God's commandments. And his commandment is to love. How do we keep loving people? not that we sent that one nice card once. Um, I think it's interesting in our age of automation, uh, we can automate something kind. I could, I'm sure, find a service out there that will order the top one or two gifts for a guy every February so Dan gets a, Christmas, or a birthday present, and I didn't have to think about it. And it just comes out of my card and shows up in the mail at his house. And that would be a sadness. If I, if I use such a service, that I was uninvolved in my love for him. Um, but I think it's important that we minimize or automate as much as we can of life to create more space for care. That my, my life would be minimized, clean, tidy, spacious enough, that there was space for the other things to grow, that I would weed out everything that's crowding out love that I would make space to know God and to love people, to disciple them. And I think discipling is mostly tending. It's mostly keeping. There's, most of discipleship is long and slow and unexciting. And then there are the few moments that discipleship is about pruning or weeding, and you have to uproot something. But uh, have you guys ever seen a bonsai tree? I, I bought one once. And it was 1999 when we lived in Korea. And I thought, well, that'll be a fun summer project. And I got it home, and I watched a bunch of videos on how to do it. And I had been watching them. So I felt like I knew what I was doing. And I sat down with my little tiny scissors. And I went to town trimming up this bonsai tree. And I trimmed more than I watched the tree, and it died. <laughs> I, I just kept trimming, because I thought, well, I don't like that one, and I don't like that one, and I don't like that one. And I pruned more than I loved. And there was nothing left for the tree to recover from. So I bought a very expensive piece of garbage in the same week. In our discipling, I think we can be either 
hesitant to prune at all, or that we prune too much, that we're too critical. And somehow there is a middle road there that's guided by love. So I'm going to invite up the praise team here at the end. But do we know our purpose? Solomon, the, the man who had it all, who was wise enough to understand it all, said it's, it's not that complicated. We need to lead our heart and keep God's commandments. We need to choose to love, choose to feel. Because without loving, without feeling in our service, we're just the empty words. Uh, and I remember the indictment of God against his people. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God is desperately interested in our hearts, that he wants us to feel with him and for him. And he's here today, and he wants to lead you into love. He wants to encounter you. So Pastor Bert is going to lead us, but consider today, uh, it is Thanksgiving. What are, what are we thankful for, and how do you experience God?